Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to the Felony Friday podcast. This is the show where we focus on injustices in the broken criminal justice system. We publish a new episode every single Friday. Today, we have another great show lined up with a very interesting guest. But before we get started, before we start the interview, I just want to remind everyone where they can find the show notes for this show. You can find them at lionsofliberty.com slash FF7. I'll link to everything that we talk about there, lionsofliberty.com slash FF7. My guest today is Michael Santos. When Michael was 23 years old, he was sentenced to 45 years in prison for drug trafficking. With credit and good behavior, he was released after serving 26 years. During his incarceration, he published several books, earned his bachelor's degree, master's degree, built a significant savings through publishing and trading stocks. He also married his wife while incarcerated. Within three years after his release from prison, he was hired as an adjunct professor at San Francisco State University. Since his release, Michael has focused his energy on teaching lessons that empower the incarcerated to live a life of relevance before, during, and after confinement. One way Michael does this is through podcasting. Yes, he's a fellow podcaster, and he's actually helping me out today. We had some issues lining this call up, and he's recording this call for me. His podcast is called The Earning Freedom Podcast. Michael, welcome to Felony Friday. John, I want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak with your audience. It's really a privilege. I enjoyed having you on the Earning Freedom podcast several months ago. And, you know, a lot's been going on since then. So I'm very happy to share it with you. And I just want to congratulate you on bringing Felony Fridays to America. I think that the time is actually really ripe for that. We're getting a lot of attention to the injustices in our criminal justice system. And it's important for people like you and, and Mark Clare to do some work in helping more people understand what we can do better. Indeed, indeed. We're finally getting some focus on criminal justice reform. Small incremental steps, a little bit at a time, but we're getting there. As you said, I was a guest on your show, and I I really do appreciate you having me on. And uh, you were a guest on on Mark's show, and I will link to both of those in the show notes. Michael, I just kind of want to get started a little bit of a different way. Your story is remarkable. So I'm kind of curious, when you meet someone new, and they ask you what you do for a living, and they ask you about your past... What's your, your elevator speech that you give people to, to tell them what you're up to and what you're passionate about? What I'm passionate about is helping other people find out what they're passionate about. And specifically, I work with individuals who have encountered struggle. My experience may be told within the context of serving multiple decades in prison, but the reality is it's a human story. You see, John, I really believe that all of us as human beings, all of us face struggle in our life at one point or another. And when we do, sometimes we don't know how to find our way out of that. So my job is to try and help people understand what can they do today to position themselves for a better tomorrow. That's awesome. And you're doing that with your podcast. And uh, I know you have other means as well, the prison professor, correct? I do. I, well, I use the podcast as a tool to try and spread the message of hope and inspiration. Um, prison professor is another venue where I help individuals who are going into the system, help them make better decisions to position themselves for an outcome, hopefully, that's going to be better than uh, what most people who go through the criminal justice system experience. But I'm also really excited about creating programs that I bring inside of America's prison system to help those individuals who are inside understand how their adjustment while they're incarcerated 
has a direct relationship to their prospects for success, both while they're in prison and also, of course, when they come home. So, yeah, I'm up to a lot of things right now. Very excited about uh, 2016 and bringing some programs to market that will uh, help people achieve their highest potential, regardless of what bad decisions they've made in the past or what current circumstances they're enduring right now. Okay. I I don't want to take a whole lot of time talking about your past. I'll link to the previous episode with Mark Claire, where he really dug into your, the prison term that you served and a lot of your experiences while in prison and after prison. But I did want to ask you about one particular aspect. I've been reading your book, Earning Freedom, Conquering a 45-Year Prison Term. And you talk about, towards the beginning of that book, towards your, uh, during your first year in prison, when you have a, a transition, when you go from really thinking that you are uh, not taking responsibility for your crimes, thinking that even maybe you didn't, didn't do anything wrong, that you were just bringing people together rather than participating in drug dealing. And then something happened through reading philosophy books. You were able to uh, sort of have a shift in your mindset and a change in your understanding and taking responsibility for your crimes. Can you talk about that transition and maybe some of the, the books, uh, philosophy books you read that really impacted you there? Absolutely. So the number one book is actually an anthology. And at the time of my life, it's important to put into context, I was really a had not been a good student. I had a high school education, but I wasn't the type of young man who took school seriously. Well, when I was sitting in that jail cell, I was convicted operating a continuing criminal enterprise, as you described. And at that moment, I, I started to recognize the, the really bad decisions that I'd made as a young man. And you start to pray for guidance. You start to ask, you know, for some type of help to get you through the tough spots. And it was, you know, that's what led me to pick up an anthology of philosophy. It was just, it's a, it was a big book. It was called A Treasury of Philosophy. I remember flipping through the pages and I came uh, looking for guidance. I was actually looking for some type of strength, some kind of way, just feeling that people who were wiser than I could ever hope to be might be able to guide me as I was going through this very difficult time in my life. I reached out after I read this story of Socrates The reason it spoke to me is because he was in jail himself. He was waiting for his execution to be carried out. And as I read his book and read the way that he responded to that punishment, I felt a great sense of inspiration, John. For those who don't know the story, Socrates was convicted because at that time in his society, it was against the law for people to teach individuals who were not from a specific social class. Socrates believed that everybody had the right to learn, and he believed that he had a duty as a citizen to help people learn, and so he didn't, he didn't abide by that law. So he was charged with a crime, convicted, and sentenced to death. While he was in jail awaiting for his execution to be carried out, he received a visit from a close friend of his named Crito, and Crito offered him an opportunity to escape. He said everything had been set up. The jailer was going to let him out. It was foolproof. And of course, at that time in my life, that's all I wanted was to get out of jail. But instead of accepting that opportunity to leave his jail cell and avoid his execution, Socrates said that he would stay. And when Crito asked why he would stay, Socrates said that he would rather die with his dignity intact rather than running away from problems that he created. He said that in a democracy, an individual has the right to work to change laws he didn't agree with, but he didn't have the right to break laws. And because of that, Socrates said that he would stand for what he believed in. He said that the world was bigger than his own life and his own beliefs. And it was when reading that story, John, 
that I got inspired to change my life. I remember putting the book down on my chest in that jail cell. I was facing a sentence of life without the possibility of parole. And I began thinking about people like you and your listeners, thinking, is there, you know, is there anything that I can do that would make my life bigger than my own problems? What would John expect me to do while I'm in here? What would citizens expect me to do when I am in here? And those people effectively became my role models. I didn't know who they were. They didn't know who I was, but they became the people I wanted to earn their trust. And so I started asking questions. And that's what started my journey of of question-based learning and Socratic questioning. I began thinking, what would people want from me while I'm in here? And I felt that they would want me to work to educate myself, work to contribute to society, and work toward building a support system. If I could do that, I believe that I would have a better journey through prison and a better opportunity to emerge successfully. That was the moment that changed my life, and it guided me through 9,500 days of imprisonment. That is incredible. One thing I just want to comment on, I think that's a a really powerful quote uh, from Socrates when you said, about democracy. You have a right to change laws, not a right to break laws. And I think, you know, a lot of my audience are uh, libertarian leaning, favor individual rights. A lot are probably against the drug war and think it's immoral and wrong. And I would, I would agree with that. But those are the laws that we have today. And for example, I'm sure you're familiar with the case of Ross Ulbricht, the uh, founder of Silk Road, And one of the things that he did and his supporters and defenders would say is all he did was connect people together, bring people together for drug transactions between consenting adults. And I mean, when you look at that in a moral perspective, there's really nothing that he did wrong, but he did break existing laws. And if we want to change this criminal justice system, you're not going to change it by breaking the laws. You're going to change it by changing the laws, fixing the laws and making them the correct laws. I think that's a great point. I don't know. I I can't say that I'm intimately familiar with the details of of Ross's case, although it was national news. And I'm very saddened to know that, you know, if it's in fact true that he's sentenced to life in prison only for connecting people. I know that there are tens of thousands of people serving time in prison for just connecting people, consenting adults. I recently wrote an article about laws in the state of Virginia which hold now that prosecutors, if some, there's an epidemic in our country with heroin, and it's sad and it's unfortunate. I'm not a big believer that the response is simply the criminal justice system. But that said, what prosecutors are doing now is if an individual sells heroin and an individual dies from that heroin, prosecutors are going to bring murder charges against the person who sold the heroin. And the reality is, if it's two consenting adults and one adult chooses to make the bad decision of injecting drugs into his veins and that person dies, I fail to see how the dealer should be held for a murder charge when he didn't have any intent of doing anything differently from providing a product that somebody wanted. It's illicit. The guy shouldn't be doing it. He should be working to change laws if he doesn't agree with them. He should be working to educate people on the wrong decisions that we make as human beings, but putting another person in prison for murder when he had no intention of murdering somebody, I think it's a bad use of public policy. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, you could say a comparable thing would be putting a a bartender in jail for serving someone a drink and then they get in a car behind a wheel and and kill someone. Well, the irony Um, of that, John, is that as you look at the gun laws in this country, we're very strong in saying that if somebody 
buys a gun and it's used in a murder, guns don't kill people. People kill people. Totally agree with that. Somebody right. picks up a gun and they kill somebody. They're responsible for that. But isn't there some irony in that, you know, many groups will go to such great lengths to protect the rights of guns, whereas with regard to drugs, they are really have a very draconian approach to, you know, what I would consider to be a similar situation, which is I agree that every individual has the right and the responsibility to understand that there are consequences to every decision he or she makes. Unfortunately, with regard to drug policies, we want to take a different approach than we do in, in other areas of our society. Yeah, it's, it seems the approach by many is just to push it into the fringes of society, into the back alleys, uh, so people don't have to deal with it. But that doesn't solve the problem. In fact, I would argue it makes the problem worse. But let's turn uh, turn the page here, shift just a little bit. I was interested in, in reading your book, Michael. At the time when you were in prison, were there other prisoners writing books or um, trying to share their story? Well, I can tell you that writing was very therapeutic for me. I have worked with many people in prison who have become authors and have worked to uh, – it can be cathartic if you write biographically. For me, it was always part of a long-term plan because I wanted to document the journey and I wanted to show other people that regardless of, of where they are, they can always add value to society. And one of the ways we add value to society is by spreading awareness. And And I wanted to spread awareness. So I wrote a number of books. Earning Freedom was, God, probably the, I don't know, the 15th or 16th book that I wrote when I was incarcerated. Wow. Um, and it really is just the one book that tells the story of my journey. I have met and interacted and mentored many people who became writers while they were incarcerated. One of them is a very good friend of mine, Seth Ferranti, which I would suggest you might want to have on your show. What other things would you advise while someone is in prison for them to do to change their mindset, to give them a, a mindset of success and to help them once they do get released to reintegrate into society? I think that's a great question. And I think it's a question that we're going to see more attention being drawn to. And the reason for that is we have 2.3 million people incarcerated in the United States. And according to one of my mentors, Joan Peter Celia at Stanford, more than 750,000 people are being released each year into society. And what's happening with those 750,000 people? The reality is those people face enormous challenges when they come back to society. They face challenges in getting employment, many in getting housing, many in overcoming substance abuse issues that were unresolved. Many have challenges integrating with family and society. And as a consequence of that, we have massively high and unacceptable recidivism rates that in some communities exceed 70%. And I want you to put that into perspective. Because our taxpayers currently are paying north of $80 billion a year to support our nation's criminal justice system. But the reality is that the longer we expose somebody to corrections, the less likely that person becomes to function as a law-abiding contributing citizen. And it has ancillary consequences that influence the lives of every American citizen. For example, many of your listeners may have parents that need health care attention. Those budgets are being cut while the prison budgets are growing. Some of your listeners may have children who are going into the university, but funding for education is being cut while the prison system is expanding. And the reality is that a significant number of the people who are serving time could function in society as law-abiding citizens if we invested more time and energy in helping those individuals while they were inside 
prepare for law-abiding, contributing lives upon release. And that's really the role that I work to fulfill. I strive to show people in prison what they can do. And so that brings me now to your question. And that is, the first thing an individual needs to do while he's inside, from my perspective, is really begin by identifying the values by which he or she lives, right? We need to focus some energy on helping people find their Socrates, focus on helping people in prison start asking the right questions. Who is it that they want to achieve? In my case, Socrates helped me get that question-based learning approach going at the very earliest stages of my journey. And because of that, I had a fundamentally different experience than anybody would expect for an individual serving a quarter century and longer than a quarter century as a prisoner. And so I want to show people how to do that. And I want to show people how to set very clearly defined goals that will determine whether they are on a path to success. And then I want to show them the strategy that worked so well for me and that I'm absolutely convinced can work for any other individual. And I'm doing a lot of work to convey and teach that strategy to others. I do it through my podcast. I've recently am launching a new podcast called Success After Prison, where I'm going to be speaking about this very subject, John, and I look forward to sharing it with uh, as many people as I possibly can. When do you launch the new podcast? Actually, I just submitted it to iTunes today. So I think iTunes is going to be, it uh, goes through their validation and review process. That might take a day or two and then it'll be live. And what I did, John, is I took the initiative of recording the first 50 episodes. So they're all pre-recorded and pre-loaded and they will be releasing. I launched a new website called Success After Prison that these podcasts will be going on. But I will also rebroadcast them on Earning Freedom. But the cool thing about it is I'm doing these both in audio and video, number one. And number two, I'm putting them also on CDs and taking them into prisons so the people in prison can be learning about strategies that they can embrace right now and start positioning themselves for success. In fact, we're recording this episode on February 15th in three or four more days on Friday, I'm traveling up to the uh, Central Valley of California where I'll be going inside of the United States Penitentiary in Atwater to introduce this program to the individuals who are serving very long sentences inside of that high-security prison. So I'm very excited about that. It is exciting. And uh, yeah, let me know when that's up and we will link to it for sure and put it in the show notes here too. I'm sure it'll be up by the time you uh, launch this podcast. Okay. All right. (laughs) You're just talking about going into prisons and uh, bringing those actual CDs of, of these new podcasts. And so prisoners can see them and learn from them. Do you ever get pushback from the prison institution for people trying to keep you out of doing things like that? Well, I can tell you I'm going to Atwater at the invitation of the warden there. And I have been there before. I was there in January to present it. And what I do is a lot of public speaking. And when I'm speaking, I'm frequently speaking in front of law enforcement communities. I was in last November, I spoke at the Ninth Circuit Judicial Conference in Sacramento. Later this year, I think in the early summer, I'll be speaking at the National Institute of Corrections annual meeting in Los Angeles. And so when I have this opportunity to present, the reality is what I'm presenting is what every taxpayer wants. I mean, if you ask a taxpayer, what do you want our correction system to produce? What we want is a law-abiding, contributing citizen. But in order to do that, we've got to restore hope. We've got to change the way our system operates Because people who are serving time in prisons today live in an environment that seems exquisitely designed to extinguish hope. My job is to show those individuals 
that they can reject that criminal lifestyle, they can reject the negativity in which they're living and start sowing seeds for a better future. And that's what I'm always striving to do. I do face enormous challenges in trying to bring a product to market, but I don't think that's unique to my situation. I think any individual who's trying to sell to government agencies with the level of red tape and bureaucracy that we have in our society, it's just very difficult to get the order But I'm working it every day, and the more work I can do, I think the better chances I have of succeeding. And I'm very passionate about this subject, and I feel as though I've got a a duty to do this, and I'm going to stay on it. That's great. And you mentioned before that we are making progress here as a society, I think, and people are starting to understand that the criminal justice system is broken. But there has been some wins lately with uh, Prop 47 passed in California, maybe it was two years ago. Um, President Obama actually became the first city president to visit a U.S. prison, which that's just that's mind blowing to me. Of course, there's been decriminalization and legalization of marijuana in several states. Do you think we're nearing a time that we could see a paradigm shift in the criminal justice system where we no longer are locking away people for victimless crimes, crimes with in air quotes between consenting adults, uh, you know, nonviolent offenders. Do you think we're getting closer to this point or are we pretty far away in your opinion? Well, I think that we're unfortunately, two answers to your question, both are yes. I do think we're getting closer, but I also, yes, think we're very far away. And the reason for that is because there, as with any bureaucracy, there's an entire ecosystem that gets built around it. And the criminal justice system is a massive, massive bureaucracy. And you're going to have a lot of pushback and a lot of resistance. We do have some exciting legislation right now that this Congress in the United States is considering. And I'm hopeful that we'll see some meaningful reform in the months to come. But it is a presidential election year. And there are going to be a lot of competing sound bites about who's, you know, what we're going to do that's smarter. But the good news is that it's both the right and the left are talking about the waste that our criminal justice system produces. I mean, if we've got 2.3 million people incarcerated at an average cost of, say, $50,000 a year per head, okay, $50,000 a year, my question for the American people is, is it possible that 10% of those people, 15% of those people could be released early? Is that possible? Just take a small number like that, 10%. If you take 10% of those people, you're talking about 230,000 people at a cost of $50,000 a year that are unjust, that are serving sentences that are far too long, and they don't have a mechanism for relief. You've mentioned some very important reforms out here in California, but I think we've got a long ways to go. So yes, the time is right. Yes, things are going to change, but I would not expect meaningful reform to manifest itself for several years because we're going to have, you know, entrenched interests that are going to fight hard to keep it up and they're going to dominate the airways. But we're thankful to uh, Felony Friday's uh, media that's giving us an alternative uh, media approach and uh, Lions of Liberty that are, are helping spread awareness on what we can do better to have a smarter criminal justice system rather than one that operates under the premise holding that uh, when the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem tends to look like a nail. (laughs) That's the way that we're using our criminal justice system right now. It's a problem in society. Yes, felonies are a problem. Is uh, locking somebody in a cage 
for years or multiple decades? The answer, not in every case. No, our, we should reserve our prisons for people who prey on society and people who you know, really are unfit to live in society. But I'm really a big believer that we should have programs in prison that will allow an individual to earn liberty. And that's what earning freedom is about. That's what success after prison is about. And it's about building a smarter criminal justice system. Well, we definitely agree with that here at Felony Friday, Michael. But one thing you did talk about there, was something leading to the transition, an aspect that's leading to this drive for change in the criminal justice system is the waste. And it's a little bit unfortunate that People are only looking at it from an economic perspective, uh, from a waste perspective, in order to save money, rather than looking at uh, just how morally wrong it is. But at the same time, I'm not going to complain. I mean, we'll take the wins whichever way we can get them. But, you know, it's important. It's great what you're doing on, on Earning Freedom and on your new podcast. Um, it's called Success After Prison, correct? That is it, baby. We're going to launch. I, well, I've already submitted it. The episodes will be streaming as soon as iTunes releases it. Right. I suspect some before the end of the week. Michael, do you want to plug anything else that you're working on? Um, tell people where they can find you on the, the social medias out there. That's very kind of you. I am very simple to find. I'm at Michael G. Santos on Twitter. My Facebook page is Earned Freedom. And my website is michaelsantos.com. But of course, we've got the new one. It's Success After Prison. At the end of the day, I really just want to tell your listeners why it's important for them to stay aware of these uh, changes that we're seeing and hopefully work to uh, elect the types of uh, leaders that will bring meaningful reform to our criminal justice system. The reality is it influences when we have a criminal justice system that, that costs taxpayers in excess of $80 billion a year. It does influence every American citizen. And it's our job as you know the alternative media, John, to try and spread that awareness and I certainly want to join you in that cause. Anybody can reach me. I'm Michael at michaelsantos.com and very grateful for the opportunity to contribute. Well, thank you very much, Michael. Thank you for giving us some time. Thank you for speaking with the Felony Friday audience today. I know that they're grateful as I'm grateful as well. Just want to applaud you and Mark and Lines of Liberty for doing this job. I know that you guys have a great uh, message behind you and a lot of support. And I want you to know that I'm uh, one of your biggest fans. All right. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. I will link to Michael's new podcast and everything else we talked about in the show notes. You can find those show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash FF7. Be sure to follow the Lions of Liberty on Facebook and Twitter. Join our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum, simply by searching Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook and the group will pop right up and we will approve you as soon as we possibly can. You can subscribe and rate the show on iTunes and Stitcher. And when I say the show, I'm talking about the Lions of Liberty podcast. Felony Friday falls under the Lions of Liberty umbrella. We have our shows every Friday, Lions of Liberty. There's also shows Monday and Wednesday. The other shows feature interviews done by Mark Clare. We have our debate reaction show roundtables for Democratic and Republican debates. We also have our fan favorite, Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, where we just talk about all kinds of crazy stuff, politics, random stuff, comedy, anything you could possibly want. You can email Felony Friday at felonyfriday at lionsofliberty.com. Be sure to check out the Felony Friday archive. Remember, before this was a podcast, I wrote a column for about two years, talked about all kinds of different felonies, Please check them out. Give me some feedback. And you can also find all the podcasts there too. That's at lionsofliberty.com slash felony Friday. 
And you can find all the other podcasts underneath the Lions of Liberty umbrella at lionsofliberty.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening today. Thank you again to Michael Santos for joining me. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.